come out in the yellow t-shirts in Portland. And then they ended up bringing their leaf blower dads the next day. Friggin to love that. Tear gas. I mean, I it's love brilliant. that that worked. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. You know, and so that's the thing. And then we have Brianna Taylor in Louisville. I have a lot of ties to Kentucky. So the Brianna Taylor case is really close to my heart. They are still not arresting anyone. Yeah. There's no one. No one's being held accountable for that. And, you know, so what we had was we had a bunch of white people come together and go link arms and join in and, and make a barrier, you know, in order to protect Black Lives Matter protesters. And I think that's absolutely essential. Yeah, it's called like the white wall, right? Is that what they call mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah, and so I think, you know, it's it's right now, white people are, those of us that are not guilty have still a responsibility to help those who struggle to make better choices and, and, and work out what's going on inside of them. And um, I mean, we I do have we're to, dealing with systemic issues, you know, so. Do you think we have to wonder, like, if we're all guilty? Um just by sort of oh, by association um or not by association or, but just that we've been living in this system that has um like held people down and so uh to an extent yes um but i also I, I tend to try to look at all sides of things and try to kind of make sure that we're all included here um and i think that we're at a point now where we really need to, you know, accept what has happened, um, you know, not, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but for example, the reason that they have Holocaust museums in Germany is, and this is sort of a common statement that's been given, is that it is important to remember so that it never happens again, you know? And, and so that's kind of where we're at right now. It's like, we do need to make sure that this never happens again. And I think that's the most important thing. And so as, as a white person myself, every day and every chance I get, I do my best to talk to people of color and really see where they're at and then, and, and not say what, you know, anything and just listen. Yeah. Because listening to others is the most important thing that we can do right now. Totally. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that that it's still why 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 do we that it's still why do we still have uh, statues of Confederate soldiers? I I just I don't understand yeah, that why was, that's why that's oh, well, even a debate. Do Do you know about the history of those soldiers and how they came to be statues? Because ultimately, there was sort of this artistic deal that came out around the turn of the century, around the turn of the 20th century. Um, and it was yet another way to sort of glorify what had happened. Um, and and they, they paid these artists a lot of money to create these statues. Um, I, I, I think it, Lexington, Kentucky, I think, did a pretty good job. They had two statues that needed to be removed from their locations. And what they did was put those statues into the cemeteries where these people are buried. Okay. 
Yeah, I can I see feel that. Feel like that was a good compromise. I can see that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't advocate the destruction of these statues. I think right. that that they're that they're, like you said, a lot of money went into it, and and they do have an artistic merit. But I think they should go somewhere else. <laughs> they yeah, should go somewhere else. It's a, somewhere so to else. Me, where those bodies are buried of those people, that's the only appropriate place. Or, <laughs> or a, a museum, you know, yes. like the Holocaust Museum. We could have right. a exactly. Confederacy Museum and gather we, actually, all of these things do. together and make we it a. Do. Go ahead. We we have there is a new Confederacy Museum. I honestly can't remember if it's in um in Alabama or Georgia. Okay. It's down. No, it's down in the south. Um. But there, there is a new museum that is specifically geared more in that focus, the, the way of the Holocaust museums in Germany, of not letting that happen again. All right. Well, if that already exists, then we have a place for these statues that people are, you there know, having having all these debates about. They don't mm-hmm. want it. They don't want them destroyed. Well, I'm not saying destroy them. I'm saying move them. Move them where they belong. Right. <laughs> Exactly. And so that's where, you know, I, I spent 22 years in Lexington, Kentucky. It's this little town in the middle of the state. It's right where the interstates cross. So it's a very, um, you know, kind of hub kind of place. Um, and it's actually got a lot of history. It goes all the way back to 1775 when uh, conveniently one of the seven families was the McConnell family that founded this town which later would have Abraham Lincoln and Mary Todd Lincoln meeting because Abraham Lincoln was uh, studying with Henry Clay, who was a lawyer that both had offices there and in Washington, D.C. He was a pretty high top guy there. There's a lot of money in that place, a lot of history. Okay. okay. So. I want to get back a little bit because we were sort of talking on this and then we moved on. I want to move back to this. One of the things you wanted to discuss was planted and paid violent protesters. Ah, one of my least favorite topics, I guess. Um, I was a part of the occupation of Wall Street in 2011. Um, I was on the planning committee for some of the information distribution aspects of it. And uh, so we were sort of the ones that were sorting out what was happening during these violent outbursts during the occupation. And ultimately, we were able to see that uh, there were paid planted protesters by seeing the bottoms of their boots. Because there were people on the ground getting arrested that had been paid to be violent protesters in that situation. And they were wearing military and police issue boots. And so that was what kind of tipped off everyone at that time. That, oh, wait a minute, there are people being paid to be planted. And, you know, since then, I mean, Jello Biafra has gone on and on about it. And, you know, now I feel like that's exactly what's happening again here now with the Black Lives Matter protests, is that people are being paid to be planted to incite violence in order to cause retaliation. I did not know that. And I'll say unfortunately it doesn't surprise me one of the people who um was like started the looting um was caught as a cop like they got his video the, his face pretty close and he's one uh, of the okay cops. yeah and i think they okay good well that's i didn't know that either but it was Lucas. just one i'm sure it was more than one person but they only caught one person for doing it okay but they caught one 
yeah. to say, hey, wait a minute, this is even happening at all. This says, hey, this is happening. This is real. I'm just letting that breathe for a minute. I don't believe in dead air. I don't think that you have to. I don't think you have to fill every single second. I think sometimes you just you can have you can have a little bit of quiet and let people breathe in, listen, just hear what you just said because it's kind of deep. Yeah, I mean they want to um, pretend to be victims. They, like I think the cop started looting and then he um, threw like a cannonball or whatever the like the Molotov cocktail at the um, police station. And then, you know, once people see one person doing it, they, the crowd sort of, mm-hmm. yeah. Probably exactly. Probably. And that's exactly, that's exactly what we saw during the occupation. Absolutely. So who, who do you think was, uh, was paying these people to be violent? During the occupation or currently? Either. Either. Oh, well, we we do know now that there are about eight people that have half the money. <laughs> so I'm going to guess somehow it's going to trickle down from those eight people. Okay. Um, I also do think that there is a lot of uh, stuff that has gone on behind the scenes that is not particularly public knowledge. Um, I think the state of New York has a lot of history with a lot of people taking advantage of each other and the systems. And the NYPD has a nasty history of corruption, nasty oh, history of goodness. violence, nasty history of racism. Absolutely. Just, just, Absolutely. you know, and, and anyone who thinks that that has all gone away is uh, is is crazy and uh, you know last week i was talking about um there was there was no it wasn't last week it was maybe two weeks ago but whatever there was uh, a peaceful protest going past my house and i wanted to record it because the the sounds the the rhythms the the music the it's it's really beautiful i i love it i love i i i, I really like how the protesters at least in new york are doing things. They're doing things really smart. They're doing things mm-hmm. organized. They're doing things peaceful. And I couldn't record it because there's a fucking police helicopter overhead that didn't need to be there. And in my research, I found out at a cost of a thousand to sixteen hundred dollars an hour. A thousand to sixteen hundred dollars an hour is what it costs to operate a police helicopter with all their surveillance equipment and all the other stuff that they have. So uh, what I didn't know was the day before that had happened, and I now I do know about that, is that the police had sent dozens, like maybe around fifty officers and a police helicopter and police dogs to arrest one person in his home. It was one of the leaders of the uh, of the of the movement I'm going to get his name for you right now uh, because I think his name should be said cuz cuz he's really doing a great job uh, give me a minute What were they arresting him for Derek Ingram uh, during an earlier protest he had used a megaphone very close to a police officer's ear um, and and uh, they considered that uh, an assault Oh, jeez. And so, I'm just going to read this. Derek Ingram, an organizer of a group leading 
a New York Black Lives Matter protest was besieged inside his Manhattan apartment on Friday while a police helicopter patrolled overhead. Officers banged on his door and police dogs waited in the hallway. The street outside had been closed off by roughly two dozen police vehicles and dozens of officers, including some who were wearing tactical gear and carrying shields. So um, he didn't let them in. He knew what his rights were. He knew they did not produce uh, a search warrant. They did not produce any paperwork saying that they could enter his home. And um, the police were saying, I don't know what that noise is. I hope you can't hear it at home. Yeah. But... Hmm. So, it, it so, seems so, so we spent thousands and thousands of dollars they spent thousands and thousands of dollars it was a five hour standoff okay so just the the helicopter alone was somewhere around you know five to eight thousand dollars just for the helicopter for this one person who knew his rights who live streamed it and they eventually gave up and he turned himself in you know some time later uh with his attorney and they're you know they're lying to him they're saying hey we have your representatives out, out right outside the door your representatives are here he's like no they're not i'm on the phone with them <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh congratulations to that gentleman for you know doing knowing what his rights are and calling out the police and and shame on you nypd for wasting more of my money i'm tired of it Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And but that's the thing is there there is systemic corruption everywhere. You know, and and ultimately I think it's been bolstered by the fact that all of the police departments in America have had access to military surplus equipment since nineteen ninety four. They've been able to buy it at a super discount directly from the Pentagon. And so since 1994, our police have been slowly building this militaristic arsenal. Yeah, NYPD is the, is the most organized, heavily armed street gang in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, coming from an island in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere, it's not that different. <laughs> And it's especially isolated, so it's a lot easier to get away with stuff. Uh, getting back to the Trump virus. Oh, uh, yeah. How has it affect? I, I, lo I love calling it that. You know, as long as, <laughs> as, long as he's going to call it the China virus, I'm calling it the Trump virus because he'll. Because uh, I think he'll he'll, I think it'll be associated with him, like Obamacare is associated with Obama. So we're going to call right. it the Trump virus. Did you suffer a lot of economic impact personally? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm a freelancer and uh, designer, and I was um, in the process of getting hired to be a mermaid tarot oracle. I was going to ask you what the hell that was. <laughs> um, I, my, my friend has a whole company. Uh, it's really amazing. Uh, I don't know if we can plug anything on here, but it's called Dazzle yes. Maui. You can and say uh, her name, at all of this. Her, okay. <laughs> her name is Adele Lennox, and she's brilliant. Um, so she hires people to play characters in these elaborate costumes for private parties. So she was, we were in 
talks of me, you know, being a mermaid and doing Oracle things. Um, and also I was doing care, caretaking for some pretty uh, wealthy properties and things. And all of that just completely stopped. But more importantly, the island of Maui lost about 70% of their revenue in a very short period of time because tourism was blocked mm -hmm. up. You know, I mean, it, it, and we were okay with it, quite honestly, because tourists have completely ruined all of Hawaii, mostly. Uh, I mean, we in within one month we went from like thirty sea turtles on the on the beach in the evening to hundreds. We went from the water being brown every other day to being clear. We went from the sand, you know, being completely just pushed around everywhere to going naturally. You know, so there there's a lot of reasons that actually the tourism industry has destroyed small scale uh, ecosystems and infrastructures. And so it, it was really cool to be a part of the quiet time when there were no planes coming in and no planes leaving and everyone was living on lockdown. But we were still allowed to go swimming and fishing because fishing is a fundamental right in coastal areas. So they, they don't have jurisdiction of the water either. So as long as we were walking to the water, getting in the water, that was okay. But it was still a very harsh militaristic control level that I was not okay with. Yeah, yeah, yep. You know, and so, and so uh, one, one community in the island reported a 70% unemployment rate and is still doing so. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot, there's a whole lot, but honestly, um, you know, oh, oh, here's the other part. I was denied unemployment and then I was denied PUA because they said I had an open unemployment case, even though I had the closed unemployment case letter that I submitted and it just went around in circles and I never got any help at all. And wow. actually... Over 53% of Hawaiians and or residents that uh, applied for funding never saw a penny. Not one penny. Um, do you mind sharing why you were denied or did they not even like share that information with you? Uh, the official reason was that I had an open unemployment insurance case, even though I had a closed unemployment insurance case. And they waited until about two days before the deadline to send me that information. Yeah. Um, Honestly, there's a lot of systemic racism in the other direction, in the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, and honestly, uh, as a white person, I say rightfully so, because colonialism has been there and destroying the land and taking it away from the people for a couple hundred years at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we, what we were dealing with also was, you know, uh, the protests about the Keck Observatory. Um, the 30-meter telescope, which is the largest uh, mirror telescope now in the world. It's 14,000 feet up. And uh, ultimately, the state and the university were supposed to be managing these lands. Uh, they, they were supposed to be protecting these lands, developing them as far as, you know, keeping the natural habitat safe and, and protected from invasive species and things like that. And so 
we found out that for about 50 years, this land was being neglected by those who were supposed to be responsible for it. So it was sort of a one, two, three punch. It was kind of a, there was the telescope, but it was being fueled by rage about colonialism and also mismanagement of sacred lands and or even just the land in general, because the land is very important to the Hawaiian people. Um, but so ultimately as a white person there, I was told to go home multiple times a day at times. I had people that, you know, would rather just not have me there. Um, but the Hawaiians that I did get to actually meet and hang out with, we always managed to connect and find find the aloha. That's it. That's, you know, it's, leaving aloha is a thing. It's a real thing. And it's all about having your heart open. How long have you lived there? Uh, about two years total. It's kind of it's kind of a shifty place. You kind of, you kind of come and you go and you leave and you come back. And... But um, you were living in New York before that, or where were you living? Oh goodness, I've, I've kind of traveled all over. I've, I, I had a home base in Kentucky for about fifteen years, and then I also had a place in New York for a while. We have family up here, and um, and then, but then Hawaii just keeps calling, so I keep answering. <laughs> But I was born in New Jersey to 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 go ahead and confess. <laughs> I will admit that. Time for me to do a little business with the listeners for the station. Uh, you are listening to a safe space radio on Radio Free Brooklyn. And if you like freeform radio, if you think it, you know, a lot of people are turning to radio right now, and they do during times of uh, when times are difficult, because you tend to get something that's more real on radio than just about any other any other format. I've been listening to the radio more uh, often. I listen to the radio all, every time I'm making dinner, put it on, have it on in the background. I think it's very valuable. Uh, radio Free Brooklyn does need your help. Uh, does need your help. Like many businesses, we we have two studios, and we got a lot of our revenue by renting it out for podcasts. Uh, and we have not been able to do that for obvious reasons. Also, we were we had started what we called our Drive to Five campaign. We turned five years old in May, and we were trying to raise twenty five thousand dollars, which we desperately need to stay afloat. And then uh, we were about halfway there when the COVID hit and the donations stopped. And I understand, folks. I get it. I get it that, that you didn't know what's happening. You're scared. You want to hold on to what you have. You might need it. I get it. So now that we have uh, really come back so much from this, maybe you see you got a little extra hanging. You got a little extra now. Maybe you didn't need to... to hold on to as much as you had. So if you have a little extra, then uh, please uh, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash support. Your donation is tax deductible. This is a, we are, we are a nonprofit. We are a 501c3 or whatever the, whatever you call that. You, you, you can write this shit <laughs> off. You can write this shit off. <laughs> you can do a good thing. You can help keep your going. I was just going to say, unfortunately, your tax deductible write-off is now $7,500 for donations. 
<clears throat> so you have to do seventy five hundred dollars in donations first. Thanks, Mango Mussolini. Oh man, that's I didn't know that. So I was wondering why there was donate, I didn't get any money back for that. Seventy five hundred dollars to Radio Free Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're gonna need you to go ahead and send all that to us. I'm getting better at this pitch. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I used to just, I used to read the, you know, there's a pre-written script yeah, that we totally. have for, for that. And I used to read that and, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, now, now I'm talking from my heart. <laughs> That's important. Mm-hmm. So there, there is actually another thing that I would really like to discuss. Sure. Go ahead. Uh, so it's something called redlining. And um, it is within the real estate industry. Um, starting around the 20s or 30s, real estate started becoming easier to acquire. Um, largely because you could literally order a kit house from this year's catalog for like $5,000. And all the pieces would show up. And you could build your house on your piece of rent for $5,000. So this happened, and then there became a whole bunch of properties that were then built. And then people started moving and changing, and, and we sort of started growing and expanding in population. And ultimately, uh, between the creation of the Federal Reserve in uh, 1913, I believe, uh, and the real estate agencies kind of coming together in this whole ownership financial ownership of what we have today. Um, they created what are called green line districts and red line districts. And the, it was uh, definitely racially segregated. So the green line districts were white districts and the red line districts were people of color. Um, so there was that level of segregation but more importantly, this was also tied to education funding because they created a system where funding for education was based on property value. So ultimately, these white people with all this money who could invest all this money because of this divisive racist system in their property, then their property value went up. And then everyone else got left behind. I mean, that's still and, happening in New York right now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, no, I was going to say that the red line and green line districts still exist today in our current real estate system. They exist today. It's still happening. And yeah, I mean, I student taught in like very different sorts of neighborhoods and um, the funding um, and it was just absurdly different. Like I, we had literally no pens and paper, like not a working copy machine in in Brooklyn. And then um, at um, there was a school in the in the East Village, and they had like I had a like one of those fancy boards, the electronic um, board when those yeah. first came out, and like um, we just that. Only like the richest schools in America have that, and then we couldn't even have like a working copy machine in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And so, you know, and so now we have to look at how uh, this administration and Betsy DeVos have 
managed to completely destroy public education in a matter of years. I mean, Bush um, really started with that. He, he like, got... He oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and really, the, the legacy of, um, you know, the whole flip-flop movement, you know, from one side to the other, it's it, it seems... It sort of seems like the blue team is all about building and infrastructure and growth and kumbaya and then like you know on, on like a societal level and then and then the red team is like let's like knock down all these buildings and build bigger buildings <laughs> and like let's like uh, you know see how much money we can skim off the top but i'm all about the purple party i want to start the purple party can we please start the purple party we're all in this together, people. I'd like to bring back the yippies. Uh, there's, there's lots of yippies. They're, they're out there. I've seen. Yeah, them. they're out there. Uh, whether they identify as it or not, I thought it was very interesting. One of the things that you had sent me had to do with uh, you working out of Number Nine Bleecker Street. When I was a oh, kid, yes. when I was a kid, maybe uh, 13 years old, me and my friend uh, Norman, who's was on the show recently. And uh, and Robert and uh, and I think Michael was involved, but I know I know at least me and Norman were doing this. Robert might not have, but we 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 pasted uh, posters for the National Marijuana Day Parade. We would hang out at Number Nine Beaker Street with Dana Beal and Aaron oh, yes. and the whole fucking crew um, of yippies and and uh, you know we just we wanted to help. You know we were all fucking pro weed people. We wanted to know what we could do to help. And so we, we hung up posters for, you know, I remember May Day is J Day because one year, uh, May 1st was the first Saturday of, uh, of May. So that I remember that May Day is J Day. And I also mm-hmm. vaguely remember rolling joints for them to distribute, but that might be a made up memory. I'm not sure if they actually let 13 and 14 year olds have access to the stash. I don't know for sure. I, that might be a that might be a pretend memory, but uh, but number nine Bleecker Street, man, you know, it, I I thought th- they were doing great things. They were doing great things, and I was reading about them just after you had reminded me that that it existed. It doesn't anymore. Well, it does to a certain extent. Uh, the property is now a, a boxing gym, some sort of thing. But they have maintained a lot of the posters. They have maintained, you know, a lot of the, from what I've heard, they have, they have, they have respect for the legacy of the space that they're in. And, okay. And that's great. You know, I would hate for yeah. the space to go to someone who's just like, oh, this is a great little townhouse. <laughs> great. Love it. Love well, it. Gonna <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> I say potential. I don't say history. I say potential. That's you haven't brought this character in on a long time. I'm happy it's back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. It's actually, it's been so long since we've gotten to really talk like this. It's been so great. Um, so really quick, my take on number nine weaker. Um, so it was a cigar factory originally. They made Cuban cigars inside of there. Um, like 20s, 30s, 40s. And then uh, it actually has access to the original meeting place of the Black Panthers underneath of Bond Street. Oh, I never knew that. That's so interesting. In Manhattan. 
um, while we were doing our meetings, I sort of, you know, asked around a lot about the building and I asked a lot about the history and stuff. And so this cigar factory owner was allowing them to come in and go down into the basement and access under the street to have a secret client meeting place. And I, you know, for me that I, I'm guessing the, that the cigar maker was an immigrant himself. And so then he was interested in any and all, you know, helping any and all people. Yeah. Because he himself had struggled, you know, so and so that I think that's the mentality that we need to get back to, you know, because we have all these people who say, you know, that they're following this organization that tells them to be excellent to each other. And yet they all they do is judge, and you know, uh, proselytize and, and, and put down and destroy things that are not what they accept, you know, and, and so I think those of us that are open-minded and here and also have white skin, I think it's so important every day to speak up and be allies, be open, be say, hey, that's not okay. You know, any and every time, it, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. This is unacceptable. You know, I, I, I take care of a three and a half year old child um, sometimes. And sometimes I have to literally say to him, this is unacceptable. And, and but it's because he doesn't know yet. And so you have to tell him. And there's a lot of people that just literally have gotten by in this life so far in this current generation, well, several generations that we have now <laughs> that, you know, have not had to have a care in the world and just go along their business. And they think, oh, you know, whatever, you know, oh, we ended slavery in 1865. So it's fine. No, it's not fine. It's still not fine. And it's not going to be fine until we fix it. And you also have to wonder, is the modern-day prison system, like, the equivalent to slavery? Oh, my gosh. A hundred percent. Oh, my gosh. Well, so, you know, yes. that's why that's why it's taken so long for New Jersey to have legal marijuana, because Cory Booker pushed so hard for reform about people with felony con- marijuana convictions. Because they were trying to write legislature that said if you had a felony of any kind, even if it was marijuana related, you couldn't be in the business. And so that, you know, that and then on top of that, (laughs) you know, expunging records like San Francisco expunged every marijuana criminal record going back to 1975, because that's when they created legal medical marijuana in California. So now all the way back to 1975. Illinois, 800,000 cases were expunged. Mississippi, 40,000 people were let out of jail in one day because they couldn't afford to keep them anymore. And they were sitting there because they had some pot in their pocket. You know, so we're getting there. But I really, do, I going back to New Jersey, I really appreciate the fact that they really, that the, at least some people in the administration there took it seriously that, you know, um, Oh, well, for example, I lived in New York City in 2008 during the stop and frisk campaigns. <laughs> and after one year, they were like, oh, shit, we just stopped and frisked by 90% people of color. We can't keep doing this. Oops. You know, but that's a sign of the systemic racism of America. I mean, America is functioning uh, exactly as out- it was If there wasn't public outrage, it would have continued. It would have Absolutely. continued. Oh and, no question. No question. This is again why I uh, I urge people to continue in the protest. Urge people to continue to speak out against 
things that they see. If you, if you see something and it's not right, you got to say, you you know, speak up. Speak up in Absolutely. whatever way that you can and whatever channel that you have. And and Absolutely. if it's, and if it gets you in trouble, then that is uh, what Mr. Lewis would call good trouble. So get yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. get, get right. yourself good trouble get yourself into some necessary trouble if that's what it takes do it do it do it if anyone doesn't want to hire you for standing up i say a lot of things you know i've been saying a lot of things calling out the nypd in the past couple of months i have pointed to a lot of the their flaws and you know that could come back to bite me in the ass you know i'm well aware that i could be fucking kidnapped and shot could happen it happens to people who do the kind of things and say the kind of things that i say on the radio but uh look i cannot go out onto the streets and protest because i'm taking care of an 87 year old frail person i can't i can't take the risk of being into in crowds but i can take this risk i can take this risk absolutely Uh, and this is exactly what nine bleaker was for the occupation it was a podium for having a voice to share information. We even got Captain Ray Lewis to come and speak. I mean, we, you know, and it was, it was, we invited everyone, you know, just come learn, like learn that there might be a different way. Yeah. And they also, uh, back in the sixties started printing their own, uh, newspapers. Mm. The Ipster times was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and that uh, morphed into, I can't remember the name of it, but, uh, you know, it was revolutionary and and welcoming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of, Yippies had a lot to do with free clinics, had a lot to do with, um, with uh, food co-ops and just mm-hmm. flat out free food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, one of the things I really like that maybe we should bring back this year is there nobody for president. Ooh, I like that. And you know why nobody for president? Because nobody's perfect. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I thought that would speak to you, Lucas. <laughs> Do we have Lucas? Yeah. Are you there? Are you there? Yeah. I just I'm trying to give you space to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on back to the mic. No, because I, I read signals. I feel like you, I tried to respond to you and you, so I'm giving you space. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I, I'm off my soapbox. I'd like to hear from you now. No, I just, I just feel like sometimes you, if, if people tell you if they don't want you to speak in other ways, I feel that came from you. <laughs> well, I, I wish you, uh, that is not at all what's going on here. <clears throat> I was just trying to say when you, um, I feel like you got upset that I was jumping on you, but there was silence, so that's why I, I was just trying to say, like, my mom was sort of like, you got to be careful, you know, you have to find a job right now, you have to be careful what you say, and I was like, I don't actually want to work for people that have a problem with me um, speaking up for what's right. Yeah. I'd rather, no, like, absolutely. Know... I support you in that 100%. And speaking out is the first step. Totally. I think, you know, um, I don't really, I don't love where, 
the, uh, I worked for um, the Pond Coach because I felt they were hiring so many different um, just culture, cultural backgrounds and um, a lot of people who grew up in New York City and um, grew up um, a little more poor. But then when I realized how they were actually treating people and sort of not allowing people, giving them a glass ceiling, I, you know, that's worse than not hiring them at all to like hire them and not treat them well and not um, give, let them have the same opportunities as their like white peers and also to make them, you know, do the work of their white peers and get paid less. Um, I've been a little bit um, upset with that. Um, what is that noise? I don't know. There's kind of a lag. Is it your mic? I've got a mic going on here with the headphones somehow, so. Well, it's a live show. Yay! <laughs> well, so, Not everything's going so, to go smooth. You know, so, so I do think it's really important, though, what you're saying. Um, yeah, I just think if you're going to, like, hire people, you... Hiring people is not enough. You can't just say like, "Well, we have this many, like, right. we have this percent of like diversity in our company," and they use that as some sort of like virtual sig virtual signaling. But um, I think mm -hmm. to to not um, I don't know. It's it's upsetting to realize that um, I don't know. <laughs> I just well, got... you know. At the same time, too, I mean, there's not only uh, is there some level of, you know, discrimination as far as racial stuff, but then, I mean, there's also gender stuff. I mean, you know, I'm so thankful that we live in a world now where there's like probably about 19 or 20 different gender identity, yeah. you know, things, like, uh, things that are accepted, you know, just whatever, however, whoever, whoever you are, we're all human. We're all in this boat together. If this boat sinks, we're all on it. This isn't just the Titanic here. This is, we're all in the same boat and we're all living and breathing. And that's the most important thing. I just got then, a text from Calvin and I wanted to share it with you too. Oh, yes. Nobody 2020, totally. <laughs> yes. yes. I'd like to write in my cat. Can I please write in my cat? Thank you. No, for that. Well, so actually, you know, that that brings up though something I've thought about for years. Our society has become so complex and so global that how could we ever have how can one person ever make the decisions for that many people? When you look at population. We had 3 billion people on this planet in 1960. It is 2020 and we have 8 billion people. It took us many hundreds of thousands of years to get to 3 billion. And then it took us how many years to get to 8 billion. And so, you know, we're kind of at this really important tipping point right now because We've already reached beyond our carrying capacity. That's what it's called in the sustainability world, um, where we have uh, we require more resources than we can replace in one year. And that started in 2018. 
And I think that has something to do with the effort towards shutting us down, locking us out, keeping us controlled, keeping us subdued, and shutting us down from 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 being alive. I mean that you know it it really seems like this is on top of a potentially deadly biological agent, a really convenient opportunity to really completely change society. We seem to be doing a very uh, clear job of that. Yeah, it seemed pretty planned. Yeah, 100% planned. I mean, and they must have known about um, the virus for a long time. Like, it's... It do, I don't buy that they oh, just we, got the news. Like <laughs> We have... Okay, so let's go back to 2003. 2003, we had... Uh, there was a virus that came out. 2009 was the swine flu, which I had confirmed. I got it from someone that I went to. I went to a music show and got sick and got confirmed. Um, and then in 2015, we had the avian flu. And then, so now here we have, but all of these viruses are very, very similar. And there are patents on them. There are patents on these viruses. Because they are mutated viruses that have been in the animal community for years. If you look on the back of a can of Lysol, it says that it will protect you against coronavirus. But it's, it's a family of viruses. It's not just one virus. And so we have, uh, you know, a pretty long history now of, of these viruses being manipulated. And that's kind of where we're at now. Um, you know, so I, my, my biggest advice, drink kombucha, eat kimchi, <laughs> eat yogurt, eat sauerkraut, and, like, try to alkalize as much as you can. <laughs> That's about it. And drink a lot of vitamin D. And we have five minutes left to the show, so I don't want to forget my thank yous. Uh, thank you, Calvin, Calvin Williams. Uh, we were on the phone oh, frantically yeah. with him. Uh, it was like thank three. You, yeah, thank you, Calvin. Like four I'm... minutes. We were, we were like four minutes away from being live, and Lucas is saying, Francis, Make a decision. This yeah. isn't working. Make a decision. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. My decision is I'm a prey. It works. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, come up with what happened. He wasn't. But, I, was I like, am not even I, religious, but I'm about to pray. Yeah. I'm like, there's there's no plan B here. We go live <laughs> and it works or it doesn't. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Calvin, because it worked. And that's very much, uh, very, very, very much thanks to your help. But also, it would not work if it was not for Lucas. Uh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm dropping the ball a little bit, but <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Hey, we got it done. We got it made. We got it done. Uh, and, uh, and we would not have nearly as interesting a show if we didn't figure out how to get, uh, how to get Joanna Haberman on. So thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Calvin. Thank you, listeners for uh, keeping us in the top 10. We like that. I like to see that. It's not, it's not my, uh, it's, you know, I'm not going to get all big-headed about it, but I was afraid that when I turned more serious and started producing a more serious show and took out all the sex, well, most of the sex, most of the comedy, <laughs> that I would lose Oh, she's in. 
I wish I wish I had been here for that part too, but this is really I mean, important. So. I think he, I think yeah, sometimes we can talk about certain, that, so. but you have to like we have to tell your sister not to watch or listen. <laughs> Right. I like right. I like that Nancy could listen. She yeah, was listening exactly. last week. I don't know if she's listening this week. Um, but anyway, I I feel Hi, extremely <laughs> extremely uh, grateful to to everyone who's who helps make this happen. And that that's oh, and next week uh, next week I'll be working with Calvin uh, once again. Lucas uh, has to get out of town for a bit and won't have access to the equipment. Uh, so I'm going to be working with Calvin next week, and our guest is going to be Raina Terror. And oh yay! I love her. I love her. So tune in for that because Raina Terror is rocking, and Joanna said so. She is. She's amazing. You better be here next week. I'm going to be here next week, just listening. So <laughs> you better be here too. Awesome. Final thoughts, anybody? Uh, well, oh, the, the the new Bill and Ted movie is coming out at the end of the week. And um, I just want to remind everyone that the most important advice ever came from the original Bill and Ted, which is uh, be excellent to each other. That's really coming out in a couple of weeks? No, it's in a week. It's like a week from now. It's like on the 27th or 28th. That's such good news. For the new Bill and Ted. Yes, That's and, such oh. good news. And Kevin Smith already previewed it, and his official response was that he cried. <laughs> wow. So, if it made Kevin Smith cry, it's probably going to make you cry, too. Thank you so much for all and your I knowledge. Um, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, thank you, Lucas. Lucas, Lucas thank was you really excited. Here. Lucas was so Yay. excited. Yeah, awesome. because well, you guys talked, you know, not... For, for not very long when we were in Fire Island. I think like um, right as I was coming out, I think I talked to her about that, right? I was like... You were Chris. I was Chris, Chris were, but I was they them. But I think I might have told her the truth. Yeah, I yeah. think I told... Like, I was like, well, I just don't want... Pe people aren't ready for he, him. and So she was one of the first people who knew. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that makes me so happy. And actually, I just want to say uh, my 15-year-old is now Alex, and oh. we have moved to he, him, and his. Oh, and wow. I'm so thankful every day That's that so I get to have a mini-me that is so cool and awesome and expansive. He's it's so like, lucky to have like you. Sorry. Right, He's so lucky to have you as a mom. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. All right. We'll have a little bit of music. Thank you, Facebook. Hey, you're you're welcome. welcome.